Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Thoughts and prayers to anyone parking in downtown Detroit today. If you're not there already, I'm, I've got bad news for you. <laughs> you got to get out of line. You got to be parking in Windsor at this point. <laughs> if the river's frozen over, consider how much you like your car and find the thickest spot of ice that you can. Yeah. What did your, your buddy actually ask you today, Brad? What did he ask you? He asked me two questions because he's had tickets to the Wings game tonight for a while. He's he's like, is Patty Kane playing tonight and how's the parking? And I just <laughs> respond, I'm like, I got bad news for you, brother. <laughs> On both fronts. <laughs> That's rough. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are recording bright and early today just to accommodate schedules. It's not purely to be able to watch playoff uh, football, but we are recording before the Detroit Red Wings-Tampa Bay game, and we're recording before the Detroit Lions-Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. So uh, this is a little bit of an abbreviated schedule, but we're making up for it because this episode has a cool interview with a very good friend of the podcast. But uh, here bright and early... Welcome back to the show. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be recapping Detroit's previous game against the Carolina Hurricanes. It's going to be probably the most easy recap we're going to do for a while. What are you talking about? We're going to analyze in depth each of the 12 shots on net. I don't even think the 12th shot should count because the goalie was pulled. Fair enough. We'll, we'll deliberate that when we get there. So after four hours of that, we're going to jump over to an interview with Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit. Been a while since we caught up with Max, and it's a a mixed bag, a, a full jar of everything Detroit Red Wings hockey as we discuss the midseason point. You know, should Edvinson be up? What are the holes on defense? What's going well? What's going uh, poorly? Alex Lyon and his revelation. All that and lots more with Max. And then we're going to come back with uh, some small bits of news. Uh, shocker across the NHL is Patrick Waugh is now an NHL head coach again. <laughs> uh, you know, the NHL is doing good with this whole just lean into the entertainment thing. There's been a lot of content lately. Yeah. And uh, lots more before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is Saturday, March 2nd. It's in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. It is an event where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast at Little Caesars Arena. It's going to feature Ken Daniels and other special guests. There's going to be an opportunity for meet and greet, for you to ask questions. There's food and drinks available. Your ticket not only gets you into the game at a discounted rate, it also gets you into the live recording of the show. Plus, it gets you a special co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast limited edition hat, uh, as we are not allowed to make more of these or sell any more of these. So uh, as they're made, that's how they're available. The first 400 ticket buyers get those. You'll also set in special Winged Wheel Podcast seating sections once you're in the arena. There's lower and upper bowl available, as well as the gondola, which is the same view that Ken and Mick call the game from. Go to the link in the description to get your tickets today. Again, only the first 400 to get the special co-branded hat. And uh, most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So big shout out to our friends at the Detroit Red Wings for that one. Again, Winged Wheel Podcast tonight at the LCA, Saturday, March 2nd. That is the Florida Panthers game. So that'll be a fun rematch for Detroit. This Saturday is uh, a great. historic event. Yeah, our first time, our first Winged Wheel Podcast night at the Grand Rapids Griffins. So that's going to be a blast. We're excited to see you all out there. 
Uh, if you're a ticket buyer for that one, check your inboxes. The Griffins have or will be sending you an email very soon uh, with all the details for that one. That one's going to be very cool. I very excited. Wait. Max gave me some uh, some restaurant recommendations. He's from there. so Oh, perfect. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. I think there's like 25 breweries, so I'll be in heaven. Yeah. The Red Wings played Carolina, and it was the last game on a little mini road stretch there between Toronto, Florida, and Carolina. And some unexpected results lately for the Red Wings where, you know, they beat teams who had played better or they maybe goalied them. They Alex lined them on their way to the win. So you went into the Carolina game and you thought, okay, is this where it ends or does the does the streak of things falling their way continue? Detroit lost 4-2, and let me tell you, this was not a six-goal game feeling. Antiranta let in a goal within the first two and a half minutes or so. Clem Costin, and I love Clem Costin. You guys know how much I love Clem the Dream. Shot the puck. It hit Ranta's glove and went in the net. That's how shaky Antiranta was. Marco Casper watched that goal and took notes. <laughs> He's he shoot puck at goalie, get goals. He has been watching game tape. He scored, Casper scored two goals last night, and we were laughing because both of them were just absolute muffins. And you know what? I wish the Red Wings would have shot like Marco Casper in the Carolina game because as shaky as Ranta was, Detroit managed, as we alluded to, 12 shots on goal. I don't know how that's possible after you watch the first goal go in. How is the message not just, we are going to be a volume team tonight? Word for word, what we were all saying. You're hired. For what? Whatever you, whatever afford, you want, brother. Can't afford my rates. <laughs> yeah, whatever no, news can. he needs you for. The Red Wings managed twelve shots on goal. It was a three-two game. Carolina scored the empty netter to make it four. But you know, at no point did Detroit look like the better team. Carolina. Let's before we break it all down. Carolina is one of, if not the best team in the league at stifling offense. They they mess you up so bad in the neutral zone, and they just prevent shots on goal like no other team. I think their average was around 25 shots against per game, which is, you know, in a NHL where goal scoring rates are going up, that's phenomenal. They held Detroit to less than half of that. So I understand that Carolina is a really, really strong defensive team, but not to the tune of 12 shots against. And that's all Detroit did. And it's not like this stifling of offense was how they managed the 12 shots. It's It, it was a self-inflicted wound by Detroit too, I feel. How many three? I think two different three on ones. They actually didn't get a shot off. Kind of a shocker of a game for Sprong in that regard. He was on one of those two on ones, just opportunities where they were looking for the perfect pass. They just weren't shooting on Ranta. Ranta, who the puck hit his glove, the part of your goalie equipment that is most designed to stop a puck from careening off you and went in the net. And then not long after, almost deflected the puck into his own net and was seen talking to himself. If you see your opposing team's goalie <laughs> talking to himself, shoot everything at him. That man is not okay. Yeah, that is not a good sign. And no. you don't need pro scouting to know that Antti Rant is having a bad season. He was waived. And no one claimed him. And no one claimed him, and he came back up because they needed him. He's played a little bit better since he came back up, but that was a, it was absolutely poised to be a day for him where... You know, Detroit won with 18 shots on goal, and Carolina was a way better team. So I, they, it was a missed opportunity. Now, all of this is to say the sky is not falling. These games happen. It's been a, a long stretch for Detroit. 
they're looking to the all-star break with open arms. But, yeah, that was just, uh, they had a broken man in net, and then they didn't test him at all. Sometimes it's an effort issue. Sometimes it's a talent issue. Sometimes it's a brain-doesn't-work issue. This game felt like all of the above, especially in the offensive zone. We know Detroit, despite their outpouring of goals this season, is not a strong offensive team. They've been propped up by shooting percentages. Their underlying numbers actually indicate they're one of the weaker, if not one of the weakest, offensive teams in the league. Most of that comes from them not being able to transport the puck through the neutral zone and get any sustained offensive zone time. And it, this game with a, as you already alluded to, Carolina team that's really good at muddying up the neutral zone, it became very apparent just how bad the Red Wings are there. And it's one thing to not get shots for large stretches of the game. It felt like the Red Wings were never even close to getting in position to take a shot. Yeah. On, when they had the puck, which was a task in and of itself. Now, Detroit had a two-on-one on a power play where uh, Larkin and Confer were coming down. They had one defender between them. Larkin made the pass early, and Confer lined up the goalie. Ranta had time to set, and Confer shot, and he beat him. Confer's, you know, and I think people don't think about him as an offensive player. He has offensive ability. We've seen from his output this year. That was his 10th goal of the season. A lot of goalies would have stopped that shot. And it wasn't a bad shot. It was a decent shot. But that's all you needed to beat anti Ranta that game was a decent shot. So that was to make it 2-2 originally, a 3-2 in the third as uh, Carolina scored on a power play. Just two power plays in the game. Both teams converted on them. So I don't know. Uh, it Again, I'm not writing off anyone's season because of this. It's, it is what it is. It was a winnable game for Detroit against a really, really good team who just had a terrible goalie in net. But... Detroit wasn't the better team. Just one of those games that happens in my mind. And we've seen all year Red Wings really struggle with tight checking teams, aggressive checking teams, or teams that just put the blanket on on them offensively. And that problem seems to have persisted through this game. So it'll be interesting to see how they can adjust because when teams start to watch footage or when they are watching footage, they're going to just see... They'll look right at the Carolina game and say, how did they hold the Red Wings to 12 shots? What can we do to emulate that and have success against this team? And the good teams will do that. Yeah. I believe that was Detroit's worst shooting game in terms of output by three shots. Their previous low was 15. So not something you want to be doing if you're if you're Detroit where you know Patrick Kane's out, you're trying to get guys going offensively. I thought, wow, if there's ever a game for Alex to bring it to get a goal this would be it. That'd be fantastic. And, you know, the shots weren't even there. Something I just want to talk about briefly, we knew Alex Dabrinkit could be a streaky player, and it's not like he's been bad, but you want to see more from Alex Dabrinkit, especially right now. You want to minimize the goal of streaks because you know he has a weapon of a shot. Whatever he has to do to find his positioning or his space or whatever the Red Wings have to do to facilitate that, I think that needs to be a priority. And I know it sounds silly because... Detroit does have so much offensive output this year, but the Red Wings are a much more dangerous team when Alex Dabrinkit is shooting the puck with confidence. Alex Dabrinkit currently has two problems. One, line mates who are struggling to get him the puck. And two, the Carolina game was his overall team symptom of it, but Alex Dabrinkit might be at the center of it. 
Shoot. Just it, shoot. His shot volume is way down from where it was in the first uh, month or so in the season. Shoot the puck, man. If you get in the offensive zone, even if it's a bad shot, just get back in the mindset of shooting. Yeah. Especially when you're playing anti-Ranta. Especially when it's someone like him who has got such a good release. It's not, I don't find it ultra deceptive, but he can shoot from different positions around his body and it's quick. Like he's a goal scorer. He can, he can make those, those shots go in for those types of guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're, if you're a team playing a game and you have like, I think it was three shots halfway through the game. If you have three shots halfway through a hockey game, you got it. Just it, if, if I'm a coach, something's flying through the air. Look off every pass. I don't care if you have Alex Ovechkin on one side and Wayne Gretzky on the other. Shoot the puck. Just shoot it. Every one of us here, despite several being defensemen, have probably had shifts in our lives where we've had three shots. <laughs> all, all the fans, as soon as you cross the blue line, are yelling, shoot. They're so helpful. It's just they're full just of pro try- scouts. Yeah, they're just trying to help. They've all played professional hockey before. They know what they're doing. <laughs> All right, that's the Red Wings. Their their point streak to start 2024 ended at seven games. Good little stretch there for them. And details aside, you're not going to begrudge them for a loss to Carolina. But their schedule, as we've talked about a lot previous, doesn't get any easier. This is a week. Yeah. This is this is uh the real this is a testing week. We are gonna be with you on Wednesday for the next episode. And between then and now there is uh tonight's Tampa Bay Lightning game at 7 p.m. Eastern, and Tuesday night there's the Dallas Stars game, both at the LCA 7 p.m. Eastern. So two strong teams. And then after that, you have Philly and then Vegas. So it doesn't you're, you're not going to be playing any soft lineups here. And Detroit has a little five-game home stretch to, to close out before the All-Star break. They need to be able to... If they beat Tampa, beat Philly, and can steal a point from either Dallas or Vegas... I would say that was a fairly successful week. Yeah, they need to be able to steal some points away from a tough schedule here. But again, this isn't washing away all the optimism from last episode. Underlying numbers aside, how much they goalied them aside, they got the results and they put themselves in a position to be able to to hope for scrounging up points and, and bad games and maybe shocking teams with a good one. They're going to need a couple of good ones in here. And Tampa Bay, like that's an important, important game. They are right there in lockstep with Detroit. They're currently in the third wild card spot. If Detroit wins this next game, they're tied with them in points. Uh, Tampa Bay has one more regulation win. Like they're they're neck and neck. And Detroit is now in the second wild card spot at the time of recording. So this is the thick of it that we were talking about last episode. Okay. Why don't we jump over now to our interview with Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit. Uh, We talked to Max about everything Detroit Red Wings from their current stretch to what might happen at the trade deadline to Patrick Kane to Alex Lyon to Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, and lots more. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Max. Max, we just made the smart decision to not talk Lions. This is publishing before the Lions game and both of us have way too much anxiety about it. So we're just going to acknowledge and leave it alone. Let's talk about the Red Wings instead. But first, folks, welcome uh, Max Boltman to the Winged Wheel podcast. Max, uh, it's I, I said it, it's been a while since we did it, but we did it in December. But welcome back to the show, man. Uh, Max Boltman, beat writer for The Athletic for the Detroit Red Wings, good friend of the show, and uh, recent traveler to California for the Rose Bowl, and then saw the national championship, and then 
recent visit to Toronto. So condolences on that. But uh, how have you been, man? Doing great. I, I was just thinking it's going to be really hard. I, we, I've been coming on the show for five years, I think. It's going to be really hard to top the last one when Ken and I talked the entire episode. We did it on like a, I don't even know what you would call it, like a provisional Patrick Kane episode, not knowing for sure if he was going to sign or not. And then it happened and the, the episode turned out, I thought, really good. So I, it's going to be quite hard to top that one, but we'll, we'll give it a whirl. Why don't we just become like irresponsible reporters and just go on news when we're like 70% sure on it? We, I think on balance, we do a lot better for ourselves. That might be true. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think I can do it, but uh, I, don't, I don't hate the theory. I'm not going to test it out. Maybe someone else will. All right, Max, it's been, uh, it's been a tale of two teams from December to now. Uh, why don't we just talk about that in broad strokes? The Detroit Red Wings went from their usual lowest of lows in December to a seven-game point streak to open up 2024 that just ended last night in Carolina in a game that you could have slept through and missed nothing. What do you make of this team in, in the Valley, now potentially a peak that they've reached, and, and how has that changed the outlook for their season in your mind? I think it's gotten them back into the race. I, I, I don't, I'm not like somebody who's going to get ahead of the skis on that and say that you know it, they're definitely, this is who they are. I think they're who they are is a team of streaks. They are who they are in December and they are who they were in January. I think the December one may be slightly skewed because of, of the injuries and the absences that they were dealing with. But even when they got some of those guys back, it, it took them a beat to get back to the place they had been in before all that went down. And so um, I get that there's a temptation to say, well, they were cruising before that Ottawa game when Dylan Larkin got hurt and, and David Perron got suspended. They're cruising now, now that they seemingly have everyone back in place. Uh, really, for the first time since then, there was a streak where they had guys in, but they, they were still kind of working back. I get that temptation, but I think we've seen enough from this team over you know 45 games now to say that they are a team that is going to streak like crazy in six, seven, eight game increments. And I don't think that that is that is done for this season. The way I see it right now is that the Red Wings got some really good results. Some of them in games where I don't really think they should have. And some of them in games where were they the better team? No, but Alex line made the difference and they still have a lot of room above them to, to improve because they weren't playing at their best. You know, Alex Dabrinkit isn't scoring right now. There's uh, a turnover trouble for Dylan Larkin on any given night. There's uh, a, a the defensive woes are all still there. So I think there's an opportunity here for Detroit to, if they can find a little bit of steadiness, capitalize on the fact that they have a very, very good goaltending situation right now in one goaltender, so it's risky, and potentially, not cruise, like you mentioned, you, you can't guarantee that, trot on towards the playoffs as one of the more favorable teams in the wildcard mix. It's possible. I mean, I you mentioned Debrinkit, and I think that's one of the most interesting things for me right now is... On one hand, I look at Debrinket and I say, hey, for all the talk everyone's had about him, he's actually shooting a little below his career average. Um, what is also happening over the last 10 games is he's just not shooting. And so normally you see someone shooting below their career average, you say, okay, they're due for a couple bounces pretty soon here. Um, that's 
I guess still technically true of Debrinket, but not to the degree that it should be only because he's not getting shots on goal. I think he's got 10 shots on goal or sorry, 15 shots on goal in his last 10 games. That's not enough. That's about half of what he was doing at the start of the year. And he, he needs to basically be doubling that in order to start getting those results again. I do think that will happen. He's way too good of a player for this to continue like this. And, um, you know, Patrick Kane, whenever he does get back, I assume that uh, helps the cause. But yeah, I think there's a few different things like that where you can look at some of their better players and say, well, they're they're actually doing this without getting XYZ from some of their big guys that some of their guys that they count on. And I guess you could include Kane being out right now as as part of that. So um I you know, I, I think they still are in this mix to get into the playoffs. And I think that if Lyon can continue to play like this, he will give them that chance. I don't know if he actually needs to be like a 920 goaltender to do that. Um, but if he can be a, a, you know, 915 guy, it gives them a chance against, you know, the teams that they're competing with, whether they can do that against the Carolinas, the Rangers of the world. Uh, that's a different question. Right now, Detroit, as we record this on Saturday morning, uh, Detroit sits in the second wild card spot, and behind them, Washington has an advantage on points percentage, as does New Jersey. So they could technically uh, bump past them here, but still, Detroit does have themselves back in the mix, like you mentioned. But we'll see how that progresses. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you mentioned Lyon, but let's talk about the defense in front of them right now. We had a conversation last episode or two episodes ago about uh, Mo Sider and what he's had to do this season, and it to me it feels like. Not that he's playing perfect hockey, but all of his effort is pretty much put into shouldering the defensive responsibilities of this team. And him and whoever he's paired with are essentially the only ones who are out there trusted with the hardest minutes. And it's kind of stifling the uh, excitement and offensive ability we've seen from Mo Sider in the past. What do you make of his game this year? I think that's part of it. I, I actually think some of the like, you know, people have talked about kind of the flash, the creativity. You don't see the spin moves at the offensive blue line that we saw from him in his rookie year. Some of that I think is just natural growth of a player. I really do believe that that's just something that was always going to lessen. The more you're in the NHL, the more people start to figure you out, the more you realize that's a pretty risky play, as cool as it is. Um, so I don't always necessarily associate it with that. There was a time this year, it wasn't that long ago, that I think he was pacing for his you know, most offense of his career. That's not the case anymore. Um, and especially lately, it's been pretty quiet offensively for him. I, I think your suggestion is a big part of that, that it's, he's taking some really tough minutes and, um, he's obviously not always consistently on the first power play. So that, I think that's a big part of it too. But, um, yeah, I, I do think the, the, the usage, the matchups are the, the biggest driving factor. And, um, I don't really know what the solution to that is because you want your best player to take your toughest matchups. Maybe it's just a matter of degrees. Like he's, I think he's, what is he like 99th percentile toughest matchups in the NHL right now? He was when we looked. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe you'd rather have it like 90th, but at the same time, you're happy that you have a guy that you trust in those minutes. And if, if he is the guy you trust the most, then so be it. Maybe as Ben Schrott and Jeff Petrie, who I think have had a pretty resurgent last month or so. If they keep that up, maybe you can start to tilt that back toward them. The veterans, those are the kind of, that's typically why you want veteran guys like that is to take some of your, some of the load off of your young developing guys. But, you know, Cider and Jake Wallman, uh, to me, are still their two best defensemen. And so to play them against your toughest matchups makes a lot of sense. If it comes at a little bit of a cost of, you know, point production, I think that's something the Red Wings will live with. But, um, I guess we'll see how they, how they choose to go about it down the stretch. The, 
season that Ben Sherrod's having is uh, notably improved over last season. Part of that is because the minutes that he was asked to have last season are, are just now being assigned to Sider and his most often Wallman, sometimes Goss's bear, which is good. I think you're right. It's better for the balance of the Red Wings. Uh, but between Sider, Wallman, Sherrod, uh, Goss's bear, those are four defensemen who are contributing to you in a net positive in some way on the ice, more or less most games. But Detroit still has a a pretty bad defensive uh, assignment issue. They have a bad defensive lapse or or sometimes collapse issue, not to the tune of like eight, nine, 10 goals, but on individual plays, someone misses their mark and uh, a puck goes past a goalie that shouldn't have. There's been noise about Detroit uh, looking around on the uh, defensive market to to try and make a trade. I view this situation as they're kind of locked in with their contracts and stuff. What do you make of Detroit's uh, defensive makeup? And is this something that can be fixed or aided in the short to medium term? I'm with you. I, I hear the people who want to see an improvement on the blue line for obvious reason. The, the team defense of this team does stand to get better. Um, I just don't see really a route to it. It's not that there's not players out there. It's not that there's not a reason to try to upgrade, but you've given up multi-year deals to nearly everyone on this blue line. Uh, the one guy that doesn't have one is Shane Gossespierre. And while I do think it's there's an argument to be made that like, hey, what you need is actually a defensive guy in that spot. You don't need to throw everything at the power play. Just put give the power play back to Cider. I, I don't really see that as a practical in-season solution. Going forward, I, that is kind of what I expect is that Shane Gossespierre will uh, move on somewhere else. And, um, and if they're out of it, maybe they trade him at the deadline. But if they're in it and they're chasing it, I think they're going to see that, you know, their power play is – um, reasonably good, and he's a big reason why, and and he's certainly their most productive defenseman. I don't know that I see them trading him in season. So beyond that, you, what are you going to do? You're already scratching Justin Hall a lot of nights, and he's got a three year contract. Like you give Ole Mata multiple years. Ben Chirot's got years on his deal. Petrie's got years on his deal. It's not that that though those are ironclad, and you can never do anything about that. But Especially when I don't, I'm sure you guys have talked every bit as much about this as I have. Like when you already are blocking Edvinson because of all this stuff, like going and getting another guy from outside would be a little baffling to me, even though I see the on ice case for it. It just doesn't seem like roster asset management wise, what, unless there's a D going out at the same time, it doesn't seem like something that I can really imagine, I guess. Yeah. To me, this is going to be either in the buyout period that happens over the offseason or we are going to see Eisenman ship out a a draft pick or an asset to offload a contract, which isn't it's something that we're almost squeamish about when we when we talk about because usually that's what Detroit tries to be on the other end of. And it's a sign that you've made a mistake. But every GM makes mistakes like this isn't to say, oh, the whole rebuild has now failed because of this mistake, but you might need to pay the price to undo it is, is kind of where I'm at. Or could you do it as a package of some kind, right? Like, I don't, I don't know who the player is, right? That makes the most sense in something like this. But, you know, we've heard the smoke about Jonathan Berggren. I'm really not sure that Jonathan Berggren is drawing like a big return as some like trade chip. I think, you know, he was a second round pick. I, I don't know that you're getting a second round pick for him straight up on the open market today. But if you were to say like, Hey, you know, we'll trade you this veteran defenseman and Jonathan Berggren and you give us X, right? Maybe you can get some some something like that where you're yeah you are I guess attaching Berger into him but if you're talking about potentially trading him anyway what's the real harm of that and you you free up space and you get an asset back or something I don't know I, I'm spitballing here I don't want to you know get on the rumor mill but I'm I'm just trying to talk about reasons or ways that I could see 
them doing something like this. And, and obviously Bergman's name is the one that's been out there. So that's why I'm using him as an example, but um, it, it is going to be interesting. I, I understand why right now Edvinson is not in the NHL as they're you know, on this hot streak and um, they, they want to really make this push for it. And they want to go with the guys who are the most, I guess, trusted. There's a huge track record with all their guys. Um, you can debate and people do. And I understand why uh, those track records. Right. Um, but I think on balance, they are all pretty capable, predictable guys. And I think that they value that. As the year goes on, though, I don't think you want to get to April 15th, whether you're in the playoffs or you're not, and say Simon Edvinson played less than five games in the NHL this year. I just don't think going forward that's a good thing for the health of the franchise. So whatever it takes to happen, I, I, I've I, been surprised at exactly how healthy they've been on the blue line. I would imagine they are surprised at the same thing, you know. I, I don't think this – I can't imagine that their plan was for Edvinson to play less than five games in the NHL this year. Um, but I, I think it is imperative to figure out a way for it to happen. And I personally think that that's a more important thing than going and adding like a Chris Tanev, as, as amazing as he would be for, for as a rental, um, as amazing as he would be for the 2023-24 season. So Brad on the show has like an immediate aversion to any kind of rental – but is okay with a long-term asset. And it's, I'm not going to say I would, and under no circumstance would I like a rental, because I think if Detroit just makes the playoffs this year, that is an amazing achievement. They might be able to steal around if all the, the cards go their way, but let, to be quite honest, we've seen how they play against the elite teams. It's just a different game. And, and that's fine. That's just where they're at in their rebuild. So if the rental is cheaply priced, yeah, sure. But there's no such thing as a, an effective, cheaply priced uh, defenseman rental. Long term, though, is is the kind of asset that I would like to add. And the way I see that is, yeah, that's Simon Edvinson. He might not be, you know, effective or, or a huge net positive, but the sooner you get him in, the sooner he can get up to that speed. I know I'm just I'm preaching to you, and I've yelled at you about this before, uh, and we're on the same page here. But it's that's to me what the um, the confusing part with how the Red Wings have handled this, especially because they're they're comment to the public, to us, the media, about what they want to see from Edvinson is they want to see a little more urgency, a little less casualness. Well, he has no real reason to be urgent or casual in the American League when he doesn't – it's not like a, a threat there. The reason no. that they want that out of his game at the NHL is because you can't afford to be casual in, in the NHL. I, I think he kind of can in the American League. It's not a knock in the American Hockey League. It's just that's like kind of the difference. Do you see him float leagues. up the ice last night? He like casually turned backwards. Like it was the most, he did it everything right. And he got through the entire neutral zone around everyone. And I think he made like two or three moves. He moved so slowly because there's, that's just not the lead. It's not the NHL's time and space. And this is the the danger, right? Is like people will talk. It's, it's a little bit of boy who cried wolf sometimes. And people talk about this guy has nothing left to prove in the AHL. You got to get him up. Like, what more do you want? See what you have. Like they, they use those about prospects who it's not true about. It is true about Simon Edvinson. There's, it's not that he's like perfect. It's not that he doesn't make mistakes. It's not like he's never has a minus next to his name after an AHL game. But when you see stuff like that, it makes me feel like at, at best, he okay. He's not. He's not being harmed. I don't know that he's getting anything out of doing that stuff in the AHL. That I don't really know that he can do in the NHL. Uh, maybe I mean sometimes, obviously, but consistently. Uh, at worst, you're teaching him that like 
hey, this is what the game's like. Get you know, get used to this. These are your reps. Like that is where I feel like you got to find a way to to do this. You know, and uh, I get that it's more minutes. I get that it's a bigger role in the power play and and all that. I, I you know, I'm not saying that I think they're like down on Edvinson or anything like that. I understand why it's it's gone the way it has, but I just think there's a lot of incentive to find a way to get him up and and make sure that you know he's not internalizing some of those casual habits that they already say that they don't like for obvious reason. I think they're correct about it. Some of it's a little inherent to his game. It's just kind of who he is. He's a calm, laid-back guy. Some of it, I think, is he needs to be in a, a setting where urgency is mandatory. And I don't know that that is the case at, at his current level. Yeah, it's I we say a lot. Defensemen are different in terms of how they progress. I think Sider has skewed that vision a little bit, but I think he's the exception, not the rule. The, the defensemen need seasoning and they need reps in the NHL, and they're going to piss you off and frustrate you when you watch them for their first 200 games if they're getting any serious minutes. But you want to bake them into something that's effective, it's how you do it. Simon, I'm not saying Simon Edvinson is going to be headman, but he is one of many examples of a, a defenseman where people who were too urgent wanted to give up on him too early, and now look at him. People would give up anything to have Victor Hedman on their team. Right. I could be wrong. I'm not saying I think that he's, that, that the Rebbings are crazy or that like, you know, Edvinson's a perfect player and they're shooting themselves in the foot. I, I think it would mean some short term annoyances. You saw, I think his first game up uh, in New Jersey, I don't think they were thrilled with how that looked. And I, I understand that's an opportunity wasted on Edvinson's part, right? That's not the Red Wings fault that he didn't come up and seize it. He does bear some of this. I just think it's understandable why after you know, two and a half months in the American league, you would come up and get your first chance in the NHL. And it would take you three to six to nine periods to look right. And maybe that's his responsibility to just make sure that's not the case. I just think you kind of, if it gets to the end of the season, you're going to be able to to justify the decision points at every step of the way, but you're going to get to the end of the season, look back and say, should we have found a way to just make that work, whether or not it was really, you know what I mean? And I think the body of work in the AHL has, uh, has borne out that, that to give them that opportunity, in my opinion. Yeah, fully agree. Uh, you mentioned Bear Grant, So just to, to give that conversation some run here, he's, uh, I don't think he's the happiest about being down in the AHL. I think he's probably a little bit surprised that he's still down there. That one's a little bit of a different situation because I, I can see why the Red Wings see his player type, what he can do on the ice, why they think he doesn't fit into the mold of this team. My personal opinion is that I think his offense would be welcome, but I he's not, you know, if he's not going to play top six minutes, he's not doing the same thing that Christian Fisher is doing in the bottom six, for example. It's more of a, an archetype thing, but that's still a valuable player who's down in the AHL. Uh, someone last episode asked if you had to guess is Jonathan Bergeron on the Red Wings to start next season. I was like, uh... For the first time, I think that's closer to 50-50 than it, it ever has been. What do you think is going to happen with, uh, with Bear Grin? Yeah, I mean, that's an example of a player who I think deserves a promotion like on his play, but he's not what the Red Wings are missing. The Red Wings are, are like the third or fourth highest scoring team in the NHL. They are not sound enough on breakouts. They are not sound enough defensively. He doesn't help you there. So like, to me, you talked about rentals earlier. To me, if you're going to rent somebody, I'm more along the lines with, of Brad of saying, don't, don't do a rental this year. It's not the time for it. But if you're gonna, it needs to be someone that's like 
I'm just going to throw a name out here of, of someone who the Red Wings have had in recent years, Oscar Sundquist, who's like, he's a stopper. He's something you don't have, right? Like, and Sundquist helped him, you know, on the power play and all that too with, with his size. But that's the kind of thing of a, it's a cheap guy who just checks a couple of important needs that you have size, defensive responsibility, all that, right? Bergen's a, a better player than Oscar Sundquist, I think. In some ways, he's certainly more offensive player, I guess I should say. I don't know that he's a total better player because I think Sunquist does impact winning in a lot of ways. But um, Bergen is a more skilled player. He's got more vision. He's quicker, right? All these things. Those aren't really things I think the Red Wings lack. And I, they're finding ways to offense. You can say it's a little fluky. You look at the expected goals numbers. They support that. But in my opinion, I don't think the Red Wings are missing Bergen. They're missing defense they're missing you know predictability getting the puck out of their own zone i don't think bergen is the solution to those and i think that's why he's in grand rapids i also think that's why maybe it's easy to overstate what the return for him might be because i think a lot of teams have you know 22 year olds in the american hockey league that um still have some questions like that that might have you know some exciting offense and bergen does and i thought he had a nice year last year in the nhl when the red wings needed that I don't think it's what they're missing right now. And I don't think a ton of teams necessarily among the contenders are missing that either. So uh, it's a tricky spot for him. All right. Jumping to a different position here. uh, The goalie situation for Detroit has been at all sides or all parts of the spectrum, I should say. You know, they came in with Husso and Reimer and and line was kind of their third choice. And Eisman was one of those uh, GMs holding his cards close to his chest to see if Tampa Bay or someone else wanted to trade. And then, you know, it wasn't really working out for Husso and Reimer had some good results early, but then fell apart. And then they ran into injury trouble even after line started to look good for them. And Eisman was actually looking around for for goaltending or for some solutions because he knows that you can't win if you have a bad goalie, especially if you're a middling to slightly above average team. Now they're back in a situation where they have a revelation in net in Alex Lyon, and they have Husso, who's hopefully going to be healthy soon, and they have Reimer, whose last game was good, but prior to that, um, atrocious. What's going to happen with with Detroit's goalie situation? Because, you know, logic says one of them is going to go at the deadline because goalies are in need across the league, but the only one of real value for Detroit is Lyon, and they're certainly not going to give him up, right? I wouldn't think so. I mean, I guess it somewhat of it kind of depends on where they are at the deadline. I could see a world. I really can see a world where they just keep all three. I, I know that that's kind of crazy considering how hard it is to manage three goaltenders, but, um, you've kind of seen it justified right now with Billy Huso out. And I know Lyon's gotten all the workload, but having Reimer there as the backup is, is a little bit of peace of mind. And I know he hasn't had an amazing year, but there have been spots where he's given them really big performances. One of them, a week ago in Toronto was huge. Like that was a huge win for the Red Wings and he was a big part of it. So um, I can see them keeping all three. And I have to say that the fan base here has been uh, vindicated. They have been uh, completely proven right uh, because all off season, they said Lyon should be the top backup to Philly Huso. And, you know, I, I told them what I thought, which was that I think the Red Wings will, you know, give that kind of the lean to, to Reimer Um off the bat if it, if all else is equal and that did happen but when lion got his opportunity he's been really the savior of their season i think and i i think you know the last 3 weeks or so it they've had they've put together a win streak they've played better hockey the single biggest reason that they have had the january that they have had is alex lion and i just think that there's uh it, it, to me i would have a hard time 
not sticking with him as the starting goalie, even when Billy Huso's back, if he continues to play like this, I just don't see how you can go away from him. Yeah, to me, that's a that's a foregone conclusion. What I laugh about is in my head, I'm like, okay, that's really good. They have Alex Lyon locked up for one more year at you know dirt cheap, essentially the the least you could pay a goaltender in the NHL, and you're getting this kind of performance. That's amazing. And then I think, huh, goalie who has done really well in a small sample size for another team come in and really save their season for a portion in Detroit. What's going to happen the next year? This is the third time in a row we're doing this. First Nedeljkovic, then Huso, and now Lyon. What's <laughs> we've I mean, been? It might before. be more than that. Bern- Bernier. It was a similar deal before that, was he not? Like, well, I don't know. The term length might have been different there, but it, I th- I think Bernier deserves a statue for what he did for Detroit for a little stretch there. I think Detroit somehow could have been worse if not for Bernier. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, yes. There there is a there is an argument to be made that the the life cycle here says that Alex Lyon's contract is so cheap and I, I think it's worth, you know, the, the, the chance on it. And I don't, I'm not saying you have to go into him with your starter as next season. You, you see how Billy Huso ends up this season, all that. I, I just, I, my tend, I, I think people see how Lyon's playing and they assume, okay, well then he's going to draw the return that a 920 save percentage guy on a $900,000 cap hit, you know, would get on the trade market. I don't think that that's the way to look at it. I think the way you have to look at it is the NHL marketplace gave you a ruling on Alex Lyon six months ago when he was a free agent and it was that he got a $900,000 contract, right? It's more data improves what like that perceived value would be, but it's still data and it still tells you where kind of his league wide perceived value is that I think he's playing like a much better goalie than that. I think uh, if he was to be a free agent this summer, yeah, that number's going up. I don't think we're at the point though where you can say he's going to draw you this really high draft pick if you were to trade him. So just see what you have rather than try to just immediately turn it over and pull an asset out of that. See what you have. See if you do have like a 9-10, 9-15 goalie uh, over the course of 30 to 40 starts. And if you have that, that's worth way more to you than like a second or third round pick would have been anyway, right? Okay, to jump over to uh, the forwards again, uh, someone who's got a lot of attention and not for the best reasons has been Andrew Kopp. We came into the season expecting him to kind of take a step forward from the kind of confusing season he had last year, uh, but we saw some really uh, good promise in his game and thought, okay, he's going to be the player that the Red Wings signed, and he just wasn't that for most of the season. I I think January has actually been quite good for him, Relatively speaking, he's been a, a lot better, a lot more present on the, the score sheet, but uh, still a confusing player overall. How do you uh, how do you make out Cop's contract? How he's played this season, and is this a little resurgence that we're seeing? It's a tricky one. I mean, yes, it's a little resurgence. I don't think that that totally invalidates the the entire you know conversation around it. I, I think there's there's some validity to it, and there's some hyperbole to it, and so it's a it's a tricky one. There's a lot of nuance, I think. I think everyone wants to look at it and say, oh, it's a complete, you know, wash. They see the 25 or 26 or whatever it was games without a goal and say, okay, well, then he was doing nothing in that time. That's not really true. You can also see the uh, underlying numbers and say, hey, you know, everyone's saying that he's a defensive stopper. The numbers don't say he's been defensively stopping as consistently as you want. That's a valid point too. It's not a 
every single night thing though. It's come in stretches. And I think when you have a guy who takes the matchups that he takes, that's part of it. I know you want to see at the end of the year, that shiny number that's, you know, above 50% expected goal share, uh, you know, I don't know what people expect from cop point total wise, but I can tell you the Red Wings want him to be at or around or above half a point per game. He is that right now. So I understand that people see the number and they want it to mean 55, 60 points. I don't know if that's really reasonable in the modern NHL, that that is what that gets you for a a matchup center who also scores like that. But it's what people have in their heads and it's how they're looking at this. What, what I, what does I think concern me a little bit is the term and that, um, if, if it's three more years after this one, which it is, um, you'd need either a little more production or better defensive results to really feel good about it. I, I, I don't know that the production is going to be, I think he probably is like a 40 to 45 point player. And so you just need to make sure that you're getting those kind of ice tilting results. And that hasn't happened super consistently this year. It has happened in stretches. It's happening right now with Michael Rasmussen and Christian Fisher. They found something. I don't think that's going to stay the case for 40 games down the stretch. It's just rarely how it works with lines, but you just keep trying to find those combinations that work, put them in the right situation. And in those games where he also brings you offense while bringing you those matchup results. Well, look what happened right now when it's happening. They won a bunch of games in, in a short span of time, right? And that's, that is a testament, I think, to the impact that someone like Andrew Kopp can have, especially when some of your stars to bring it, uh, not scoring Kane, not in the lineup, um, when that is the case. So, um, I know that I've developed a reputation as, um, an Andrew Kopp defender. I think that is earned. I, I have defended him. I probably will continue to defend him because I think that there's a lot of dimensions in his game that are important and that I know it's frustrating to watch him generate a shorthanded breakaway and then not score on it. I just don't want people to lose sight of the fact that he generated a shorthanded breakaway. And I know that you have to score some of them to, to get value there, but that is a useful thing when the other team's on the power play and you are getting the best scoring chance of it. Over time, that's supposed to add up to good things. Um, I, I think he's a really good passer. I think he's a really smart player. I don't think that it always leads to assists, but if you take a look, his assist numbers are pretty good, uh, especially for not getting the power play time. So um, I, I think the contract is a concern and I don't want that to get misconstrued. I don't think it's a, it's a necessarily like a super efficient contract right now. I think the degree to which it is a concern is overstated in most of the conversations that I hear. Um, but it's something to watch. And I, I think, you know, you want him to be that 40 to 45 point two way center and, and get some results in those matchups. Doesn't mean you're, it, when you take the matchups, he has, you're not going to get a 55 or even 52% expected goal share. But I think if you can get that around 48 percent in some of those matchups 47 48 percent and and 40 plus points then that that contract does become outright good um right now it's below that in the expected goal share and so that's where the concern comes from i think it's understandable but i do think people should take a look and see that there are stretches where that is absolutely true and and that's what you're signing him for and i I don't think that that's completely invalidated when there's a, a production drought like the one there was even this year so a a free agent with maybe the inverse sentiment is Surprisingly enough, Patrick Kane, still a weird thing to say, uh, out injured right now, you know, missed the rest of the road trip after being hurt in Toronto. Uh, it's been confirmed that it's not hip related. The sense that I get is that it's not going to be a, a long, long term thing. So they're going to reevaluate now that they're back in Detroit. But uh, let's talk about what he's done since he's uh, come into the team, which has been almost a shockingly positive you know, result. 
like right away. Like I would have expected he would have needed a lot more runway to show up on the score sheet and have an impact on games. Mind you, there's no surprises in terms of what he can and can't do. I think he's not going to be a physical player. He's not going to win board battles. He's not going to really outskate you, although he did score a quasi-breakaway goal the other night. But Patrick Kane's impact and almost his gravity on the ice, it's it, it makes you think about an era where the Red Wings had that kind of superstar talent uh, in their primes, and you forget, and you can see the Red Wings, we've talked about this before, the Red Wings almost don't know how to play with it sometimes. They're getting better about it. How do you How do you measure Patrick Kane's impact and then... What happens now? Extension? Trade? I'd extend him. Um, when you extend him is an interesting question. Do you wait until the end of the season and, and get as much data as possible? Do you try to do it now like you did with Olimata and Jake Wallman last year, um, right around this time? I would extend him, though. And I, I know that I just talked with Jonathan Berggren about you know the, the, the skill, vision type not being necessarily what they're missing. Part of that is because they have Patrick Kane, and and he does that at a level that very few people can match. Uh, he, Kane is the first player of that echelon that I've covered in the NHL um, can, on a consistent basis. The Red Wings have had some really good players. I got you know tail end uh, of Nicholas Cromwell. I got a f- few Henrik Zetterberg games in the season before I was on the beat full-time. Um, and obviously I've had Dylan Larkin, but Kane is, it is in a kind of a stratosphere of, of his own, although he is later in his career. So maybe you can say that Zetterberg was, um, a, a comp, but certainly I was not, um, seasoned enough to really understand that. Right. And so, um, it has been fascinating to me to see not, you know, the way that Kane, I think even just carries himself, you can feel in the locker room, the, the aura that he has, um, and, and the, the experience that he has being kind of like a go-to guy, um, but on the ice, the confidence that he has with the puck is uh, incredible. And, and I, I threw a stat in an article the other day that was about how, you know, I think it's like 2.09 expected goals against per 60. I know that number doesn't necessarily mean anything to everybody off the rip, but that's a really good defensive number. It's not because Patrick Kane is some selkie forward. It's because he has the puck a ton. And that is something that people have been, have been asking for the Red Wings to do more of for years. They haven't always had the personnel to be that team. He is that personnel. And, and so the reason to, to see them getting kind of those kind of defensive results, defensive results. I put that in air quotes because it's really just offensive results that he has the puck. And that means you don't. And I've been very impressed by him. He's, he's obviously, I don't think he's the player that he was eight years ago, but he's a better player in my opinion than he was last season, which is what the Red Wings were hoping. And he just brings that, that extra in any given second. He can make that pass. He can steal that puck, which is a part of his game. I had probably underappreciated was how often he would just kind of, I don't know if it's baiting or if it's just anticipating or what, but step into a lane that the the passer doesn't seem to even consider that he could step into and pick off a pass. And that stuff is in the offensive zone, I think is, is huge for the Red Wings. They need that. They need, and, and I think the, the, the star power is something they lack and I think it's worth, worth keeping. So uh, if they're out of it, we'll see, we'll see what, if they decide that they want to trade him or what, but certainly if they're in it, I think you keep him, And I think you try to keep him for another couple of years beyond this. The same way when Detroit plays like a, a cup contending team who's on a roll that night and you watch them play and you're just like, whoa, you forget that hockey can be that good. And then you see Kane and the the space and respect he gets from defenders because of what he can do and just like the simple stuff. It's like uh, it's like cooking with just simple fresh ingredients. Like it's nothing too fantastical or anything crazy, but he just makes a smart move where you're like, oh man, you forget what it's like when a guy 
just makes the right play. It's so smart and so automatic and such a soft touch. Uh, you watch this team and where they've been in the rebuild for like nine, 10 years or however long, and you forget what it was like to have Datsuk doing that every night or, or Fedorov or Eisman if you want to go back further. And Kane has almost given you like a window into that. I'd tweak one thing about that. So you said like guy makes the right play. I think the Red Wings have a lot of guys who make the right play. What what it strikes me with Kane is he makes a play that you didn't even know was an option. Like it's, it's yeah, that's much better. Yeah, yeah. It's like like you can you, you play the game the the quote unquote right way. You make the right plays, but the other team kind of knows what those plays are too. And with Kane, it's like I didn't know that guy was there. I didn't. How did he see that? Right. Like we have the bird's eye. We're supposed to have the best view. How did he see that? Right. And uh, that's what it is for me with, with Kane. And, you know, he, he loves to go to that backhand pass. And every time I watch it, I'm like, okay, next time the defender is going to know that backhand pass is coming next time it works too. So uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable to watch. And and to your point, like on, I remember on opening night in New Jersey, um, watching the Red Wings and thinking they they are playing the better game tonight, but only one of these teams has Jack Hughes. And obviously at this point in their careers, I think you can make the argument very easily. I would make the argument that, pa- that Jack Hughes is, is better than Patrick Kane at this point. Um, but Patrick Kane gives them an answer to something like that, that they didn't have on opening night. And I really believe that if Patrick Kane had started the season with the Red Wings, obviously his health wasn't going to permit that. Um, they'd probably win that game because they would have had an answer to that. Okay. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, trade in terms of Patrick Kane. Let's talk about the Red Wings overall. I know you've mentioned this in your articles on The Athletic in the past, but uh, Detroit has some interesting decisions to make come trade deadline, and they're in no rush to make them because of right now they're still in the, the playoff hunt. So two different hypotheticals. One, the Red Wings are completely out of it, and two, the Red Wings are firmly in the mix uh, what approach do you think Steve Eisman takes in either situation and what players are kind of keying in for you? If they're out of it, I do think he'll do the, do what he did last year and sell. And I, I think that means Shane Goss is bare. I think the tougher one is David Perron, who I, I really think is, I know people hate to hear about, you know, culture and all that stuff, but I think he's such an important figure he's in that locker room. Lewis glue guy there ever has been. Yeah, exactly. And I think it would be a tough one. I think ultimately you have to just say, this guy is getting up there in age. He will leave the locker room at some point if we can get something for him. And I do think he might even be the most desirable trade asset just because other teams are going to know that too and know his playoff experience. I think you probably have to do it, but I think it would be a really, really tough one. Um, I, I could, he's not, hasn't been here as long as Tyler Bertuzzi. So I don't know that it would elicit like, you know, quite the same like public reaction that the Bertuzzi trade did, but I could see it having a similar on ice and in, in all that impact to losing Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, and, and, you know, if you're out of it, frankly, you might not mind that because maybe it gets you back into the, you know, 12, 11, 10 range of the draft order. Um, if you do go on a, a drop off after the trade deadline, that gives you a chance at Macklin Celebrini and all that. But yeah, that, those would be the two names to me. It would be Gosses, Bear, and Piranha. And maybe you, at that point, you think about a goalie too. If, if, if you got somebody that other teams are clamoring about, um, if you're out of it, if you're in it, that's where it gets really interesting because I don't think, like we talked about, I don't think you want to get in the rental game. I don't know that there's a ton of like term guys out there that make a lot of sense. Um, and I don't really know that they have a ton of space for just kind of superfluous additions. Like we talked about on, on defense, obviously in goal, maybe, like I said, it's that kind of defensive minded forward, but 
if you're in the playoff spot, it means what you're doing is working. And I don't know how much you want to mess with that for a team that has shown it can be pretty volatile to little changes. So I almost think you hold if you're in the mix and maybe you let your, you know, maybe you get a call up or two, whether it's Edvinson or whether you see if, you know, Mazer or whatever, but maybe you're, maybe you're going for depth. I don't know. They've, they've already signed Aston Reese. They signed, you know, which is kind of that depth forward type that I think you probably, you know, do better than that at the trade deadline. But I'm just saying they've in season, they've kind of done some, uh, starting with, obviously the big one is signing Patrick Kane as a boost, but, um, you know, you kind of have your, your depth for, oh, if somebody gets banged up, you know, it's going to be Aston Reese. It's going to be Zarnik. And those guys are fourth line, you know, fourth line or 13th forward types that, I just don't really see them going out and trying to trade for a Jake Gensel or something like that. And Elias Lindholm that are going to really cost you and, and aren't, don't have any term to be here long term. Even if you sign them, I don't know that it makes sense for you cap structure wise with what you're going to have to do this summer with Cider and Raymond. So I've rambled. Um, long way of saying I, I, I think you sell if you're out of it. And if you're in it, I would hold, but I guess I'm not going to rule anything out. Max. We could talk about a million more things right now at the Red Wings, but uh, why don't I let you go enjoy your Saturday? It's a big weekend coming up. By the time folks are listening to this, you'll know the results of probably the Tampa Bay game, but also the Lions game. So uh, bear with us. Which is our... also a Tampa Bay game. That's that's right. I always forget about that. It was uh, It's cool that Detroit beat LA twice, and now hopefully they do the same with Tampa Bay. But I'm, I'm going to get out of the prediction game. Uh, folks, Max Beltman of The Athletic Detroit. Uh, I'm going to drop a link in the description to his most recent article, but also follow him on Twitter, uh, M underscore Boltman. If you click on the links to any of his articles uh, from his Twitter account and then subscribe from there, uh, that is the best way to show your appreciation for Max. And let me tell you, uh, that is automatic reading every morning for me where uh, Max publishes a post. The only time I don't is when he publishes it at 1 a.m. like a madman, and I'm also up and reading it then. So, uh, Max, thank you so much for joining the show, and until next time. My pleasure, man. Hey, when's uh, when's Wing Wheel podcast night at uh, Van Andel for the Griffins? That is Saturday, January 27th. So coming right up? Coming right up. All it's right, a week well, from today. Let me give a plea to the uh, listeners here to, to go to that game, see my city. That's where I'm from. And uh, if you need uh, restaurant, bar recommendations, et cetera, uh, shoot me a DM on Twitter. I'll send you what I got. That's uh, I, I'm so happy you guys are doing that. I think that's awesome. And I can't wait for people to, to see Grand Rapids. Oh, thanks, man. We're we're pumped. It's so overdue, so we're excited. All right, that was our conversation with Max Boltman. Hope you enjoyed that one. And as I mentioned in the interview, check him out on The Athletic Detroit. His work is always worth reading. Uh, some quick NHL updates in terms of Red Wings prospects. Marco Casper, we were joking earlier about his two-goal night last night. <laughs> Still a two-goal night. It, the puck went in twice, which is more than what the Red Wings can say. Well, they, they scored twice, but they could have had many more. Because that was a anti rantis style goaltender in that, it seemed. But Marco Casper had two goals and an assist, three points last night. He had a goal and assist the night before. And if my math is correct, he has about 10 points in his last nine games or something to that effect. So he is he's having a much better segment of the season than what he had for the first 20 or so games. Maybe he's got a case of Joe Valeno syndrome. Yeah, it takes just, him a while. Just needs some runway. You've made the comparison between him and Joe Valeno a lot of times. Very, very similar styles of game. I would just hope at this point that Casper's offensive ceiling is a little higher. Yeah, so if he can continue this output, you're not going to bank on goals like that every time, but just activating the offense, having some confidence to shoot. It's not the first bad goalie he's seen, right? So if the numbers are showing up, he's, he's doing a little bit more. Hey, the power of 
just shooting the puck. <laughs> you never know what'll go in. Every year on this podcast, we just become more and more meatheads with a, a club in a rock saying, shoot the puck, hit the player. Like, we're just like the, the, the pure caveman. The fact that we have to repeat that, though, might be the symptom of a bigger problem. <laughs> Anyways, good to see from Marco Casper as a prospect who wasn't, you know, storied for having a great season this season is now uh, turning the narrative around. And Nate Danielson, recently traded to the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL, has two goals and two assists through his first three games, I believe, for Portland. So showing up on the offensive score sheet, something that we really wanted to see from him. Exactly. We know what type of 200-foot game he has, but to justify being a top 10 pick, circling back to the Marco Casper conversation, you can't just be a 200-foot forward. There's got to be offense there, and Danielson's always shown flashes of it, and Brandon, the narrative was always, it's amazing how many assists he should have had Yeah, that didn't end up in the net. That won't be the case in Portland, and so far, so good. Yeah. Okay, and one bit of NHL news before the overtime segment. You know, for the the second time in a little stretch here, because the first one was the Cutter Gauthier trade, where I looked at my phone and said, what? We got a notification that made us all look at our phones and say, what? Lulia Morello, GM of the New York Islanders, bless him, just probably one of the most entertaining guys in hockey right now, as Brad said unintentionally, uh, fired Lane Lambert, head coach of the New York Islanders, didn't even make it two seasons, I believe, with them, and hired Patrick Waugh. I can't even imagine what that phone call would be like. <laughs> I can't think of like two more opposite people. Hey, Lane, uh, I'm sorry. It's it's not working out. We gave it a run here, but unfortunately we need to make a change and... Uh, it's nothing against you. You're a great coach. You're going to land somewhere. I, I'll give your name to some people. But uh, we're bringing in Patrick Waugh. <laughs> I love the way the Islanders released it. Just one tweet, text stating, you know, Lambert has been relieved of his duties. Patrick Waugh's a head coach. But it was just a giant picture of Patrick Waugh's head. So imagine an Islanders fan waking up that day. Logging on to see what his his or her favorite team is up to. And you just see Patrick Waugh's face before you read what's actually going on. That two seconds of utter confusion yeah. must have been a hell of a roller coaster. Talking about whiplash the past couple episodes, oh that would God. give me whiplash. They kept Lane Lambert. Actually, let, let me lay this out for people. Barry Trotz was the head coach of the New York Islanders. He had one year left on his contract to coach for a good sum of money, like four or five million dollars. And they fired him. He Basically wanted to be, let him walk to protect Lane Lambert from getting poached from other teams. Because he wanted to be a GM in the future, but he still had a year left on his contract. Like his job was to be head coach of the New York Islanders. No matter what, he was going to stay another year. They They thought maybe after that, it might be hard to keep him. But they fired him a year early, arguably the best coach in the NHL at the time, to keep Lane Lambert. And that wasn't like seen as a crazy move. It was a bold one, but a lot of people saw Lane Lambert as one of the next coaches, head coaches in the NHL. You can never say a head coach is going to be good or bad before he does it. It's an impossible position to, to project, and it's so circumstantial. But 
they didn't want to lose Lane Lambert. Lane Lambert was getting interest from other teams for, you know, year plus at that point, if not more. And yeah, they let Barry Trotz go to keep Lane Lambert, and Lane Lambert made it one and a half seasons with the Islanders. And now they have Patrick Waugh, who could be great. Just won a Memorial Cup. Could be a tire fire. It's worth mentioning that I I did see a a tweet from Scott Wheeler, who watches a ton of junior hockey, and he did say last year's Quebec Remparts were the most systemically and structural structurally proper team he's ever seen in junior hockey he said they look like a pro team out there and they did end up winning the memorial cup now teaching teenagers isn't the equivalent of teaching grown-ass men and we know how his stint in colorado ended Mm -hmm. so i genuinely believe patrick waugh is a great hockey mind he's one of those guys you just you know he gets it you know he understands it you know as one of the best goalies to ever play he truly understands the game of hockey but he's also one of those guys there's only one person who can stop Patrick Waugh from being successful it's Patrick Waugh his ego and his personality have been an issue on the ice off the ice in coaching There's a reason he hasn't been in the NHL for a substantial amount of time, and it's not because he doesn't know what he's doing. We need to get Bruce Boudreaux back in the Metro Division. We like that. What are the coaches in the Metro Division right now? Like, that is just all time personality guys who might blow up. Like, that division is essentially. It's like professional wrestling. It just dawned on me how many times the Islanders and Flyers play each other. Oh my God, the potential is. Very high right now. That division is a fireworks factory. And next door is the match factory. (laughs) And, you know, by all rights, if they're following all the regulations and stuff, you might never see anything. But one night you you might look in the sky (laughs) and see a lot of pretty fireworks, which sucks if you're living right next to the fireworks factory. But let me tell you, if you're in the Atlantic division or anywhere else and you look up, Pretty colors. The NHL wants to organically market itself. They're on the right path. I I feel for Lane Lambert, obviously the results weren't there for the Islanders. I think there's a larger conversation that has needed to be had for a long time on Long Island, which is, is Lou Lamorello the right guy there? And has he set any coach up for success there? I would argue that Barry Trotz did a shocking amount of positive work considering what he had to work with. Not that they're all bad players, but the Islanders have always been a team that's been greater than the sum of their parts. And, you know, if you don't have Dobson progressing the way he does and you don't have Barry Trotz doing what he's doing, for example, like I think that team could have crashed and burned way earlier. I I think Patrick Waugh has a tall task ahead of him. Oh, we've talked about it at length before, especially in the offseason. Is there a team more ill-suited for future success say for maybe the San Jose Sharks, than the New York Islanders, their cap friendly page is a horror show. Like There's no a lot one, of blue on the length of those contracts. Yeah. And for not young players, I think almost every one of them is on the wrong side of 30. And they're already a mediocre middling playoff team. I think our Minnesota meme forever of just being that team that's been stuck in the mushy middle forever, five years, that's going to be an Islanders joke. Could be. Okay, uh, we're going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, 
and support the show. If you want to know how we throw Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA in partnership with the Red Wings or at Van Andel in partnership with the Grand Rapids Griffins, it's through our patrons. It's how we continue to grow and record and improve this show, how we produce Expected by Whom, a show uh, hosted by Prashant Iyer and Sean Shapiro. It's how we support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and lots more. So again, patreon.com slash podcast. You get benefits like access to the Discord. You get automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters, and uh, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes. So one more time, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. All right, time for a couple questions here. Uh, the Mexanadian says, uh, in a theoretical situation where Dylan Larkin isn't on the team, uh, who would be the next captain for Detroit based on what they have right now? Patrick Kane. <laughs> you're, you're trying to get an egg thrown at you? Patrick Kane. Uh, I would say Mo Sider. I would say it should be Mo Sider, but right now Andrew Kopp and Ben Schrott are wearing letters and their contracts aren't short. Yeah, that's true. I still think they'd make it Sider. Uh, next question here from Orange Sunkfuss says, I know Soderblom isn't kicking down the door in Grand Rapids, but I feel like he's a prospect that we should give lots of runway. He's a bit of a unicorn with his size in his hands. Some guys don't really break out until they're 25 or so. I think Eisenman should be very hesitant in trading him. His potential ceiling and uniqueness as a player is far more valuable than what you might get in his trade value. What are your thoughts? Oh, I agree with you fully that there absolutely should be as much runway as possible for a prospect like that. And we've seen him do it in brief spurts at the NHL level already. However, you can't look at a season in Grand Rapids right now and not at least be concerned. Yeah. So I same. I agree, but that runway is in Grand Rapids right now. As if I I hope it's still there and I hope they don't move on to him too quick as you mentioned. I think there's a difference between getting rid of a Soderblom and getting rid of like a you know, a Taro Hirose, for example, if he was in that situation. And and grateful that he's in the Red Wings organization mostly with Grand Rapids. But yeah, He's really not kicking down the door. Kind of disappointing how much he took a step back. Like the moment the grind of the NHL season got to him and the physicality and the time and space, like it it all dissipated quickly. There was a moment where the stats that he's putting up in Grand Rapids now where we thought this is about what his pace would be in Detroit this year. Yeah. Uh, one more here from Jeremy Dahl says, Abby looked like she had a sweet birthday. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, my dog Abby turned nine, uh, nine years young. How so many less. bites on the cheeseburger? One, two? Two. Two, oh. same as every year. She watched as we... I'm getting close. I do, I'm about <laughs> four, so I, you know there's still room for improvement. I played hockey with a kid, and we were at a tournament in Lake Placid, and he would... Uh, we'd go to McDonald's, and he would eat entire burgers in, like, decreasing amount of bites. And the first time he did it, he did it in four, and then he did it in three, and then we watched him do it in two. And then that night, he didn't come out of his room at the hotel after that. <laughs> he was working through some stuff. That explains a lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, but no, Abby, she doesn't know moderation, so we get her a hamburger every year for her birthday. Did she? Is she one of those dogs that's just standing there drooling, waiting for it? Yeah. yeah. She actually tried to, for the first time, she tried to bite it with the candle on, and then she looked at the <laughs> candle like, what was that for? <laughs> so we had to blow the candle out in punishment uh, for the candle. But no, she... She tries to, um, she's dumb, so she doesn't know how to, to pick it up Fair efficiently. Enough. So she tries to, if the hamburger's sitting on the ground, 
normally. She tries to come in from the top <laughs> like a, a an arcade claw yeah. and pick it all up. So the bottom patty always just sits on the bottom accidentally. Single cheeseburger, double cheeseburger? Single. Oh. Uh, no, no, no. Sometimes double. Yeah. You, what you gotta, a life. You got to pay the cheese tax. That's right. Yeah. Anyhow. Jeremy's question is about Debrinket and Raymond. He says, are we getting to the point where they're having a bit of a disappointing season as their goal and point paces have dropped? I think we talked about this with Debrinket at the start of the year, right? Like this was always a risk and could potentially happen. I will say it's not not disappointing that it's happening, but Detroit's not a high-octane team to always facilitate the best in an offensive player who it comes and goes for him. He, he's not able to keep it at that level all the time. I think I think when we were having a December episode, we talked about how Alex Debrinkit hadn't scored in a calendar month. Yeah. So definitely would obviously like to eliminate those. I think when the Red Wings play a more up-tempo game, it really does suit his style of goal scoring, the high volume shooting. He's he's not totally one of those guys where he gets a couple looks a game and one goes in. Like yeah. he needs to have that volume. So it would be nice to see that return. I don't know. I didn't think people I didn't know people were down on Lucas Raymond. Yeah, he's still on pace for career highs. Raymond even points the season where he's, you know, disappearing off the score sheet. I don't find that he's disappearing in games as much. Raymond, to me, screams the kind of player where in three years we're going to be looking back and saying we were way, or folks were way too impatient with him. He's just, he's not going to be one of those guys who's going to elevate immediately, but his progression is steady and he comes with a high floor. So happy with Raymond's season overall. I think it could be going better, but I think a lot of the Red Wings seasons could be going better. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. And as we finish up this morning, we're going to be back with you on Wednesday to cover the Tampa game and the Dallas game the Tampa game on two different sports fronts. So you'll know the result by the time you listen to this. Apologies if our tone seems different than it should. We'd like to thank all of you who have listened to this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank all of our patrons, especially our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy, Brad Shin Extension Baggins, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Curtis Snyder, Daddy Bettman Bucks, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Drop the Gloves, New Name Level Supporter, thank you so much and welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Eric Shun, G.O.D. Creatives, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, Sprong 88, the best. That's what I appreciate about you. Brian Vasha, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, AB, Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Chuck, Buff Chest, The Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, 
Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Reed, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, These Lines Are Unreal. Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Beat Tim. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.